We snuck into the conservatory that evening when the caretaker forgot to lock the door before heading home. It wasn't so surprising. We had seen the caretaker before, especially on these summer nights when we frequented the gardens, loitering well after the 10 p.m. warnings. These were painted white on green metal backing, and in the dark, they looked like eerie insectile ghosts floating among the jagged pines. The warnings were everywhere. If you were out too late, was the general understanding, you would be in danger of encountering the beast. And lightning recap for you. Uh, in some stairs only ever descend, uh, some things I think kind of happen and I feel kind of dumb, but it was interesting. So that's the best I have today for you. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia. Today, I am here with... K.B. <laughs> Excellent. And you know what? Sometimes when I get that feeling, I need short story healing. And what provided that healing today? Uh, today, that healing was provided by Some Stairs Only Ever Descend by Kathy Nguyen. I would like to say, I asked you a couple weeks ago how to pronounce her last name, and I had looked up seven different pronunciations, and I would like to say that every single one was different. So, um, doing my best, did try. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a complicated one because there are letters, and they make sounds. Um, they do, but some of them don't is the problem. That's very true. This is a story of a type I enjoy that are difficult to talk about because they are not necessarily a progressive story. They are a series of suggestions. It really, it feels even more like, okay, a series of suggestions. I can definitely get on board with that. It also feels like vignettes or just fuzzy memories sometimes even. Sometimes it's not even vignettes, it's just fuzzy memories and memories of, of feelings. So in that way, it has to be evocative. It has no choice if it's going to succeed because it, the whole point of things like that are to evoke the whole you know point of relaying memories and vignettes is to bring out a feeling in people so it does have to be evocative and it it really is i just was uh very confused you were evoked in a weird way and i was i was weirdly evoked what i love though is that by breaking it up the way that she did it allows her to hit you with that opening line multiple times as if she's writing a series of somewhat connected stories. At least I assume they're connected. I mean, for example, on one of the sections, uh, we first met Button while he was rummaging through the dumpster of our crummy Chinatown apartment. That hits you with an instant moment that is completely different and feeling disconnected from a little later on, um, uh, 
We had long suspected the house to be haunted. Sometimes we felt too dejected to leaf through the magazines in the library with Button, and while others were either smoking weed by the overturned bathtub or copulating in the dark basement, we built a nest of soft things in the closet. Button's ratted baby blanket, Button's scarf, Button's fur-lined jacket, all of which he stored in his backpack for winter and tried to smother ourselves in the softness until we became lightheaded, blah, 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 keeps going. And they feel like they are two different stories that just happen to have the word button repeated over and over and over again. But they both evoke a sensation that is very similar. It is that, I guess the word dumpster actually applies across the board in both of those and certainly at the end, which doesn't feel like an ending at all to me. Yeah. I agree with you. It feels actually like a beginning. It, it feels like in that sense that this, there's a very disjointed sense of time in this, in this piece. It feels like the beginning is at the end and maybe the end is at the beginning or some, some other switcheroo in order there. I don't know. And I think this is actually one of the things I like about Joyland in general. And uh, it is very much into the concrete writing style it's a very evocative mag it publishes prose that is powerful and a lot of the stuff doesn't necessarily have that sort of linearity that we that a lot of us read for um that's why i kind of think they shy away towards more genre stuff uh okay humor is a genre and the swan story is humor um <laughs> Well, but I think when we talk about genre, we know we're talking about genre, you know, like the thing that literary people look down on and the thing that uh, people who enjoy reading science fiction, fantasy, et cetera, defend. Yeah. And we look down on ourselves far harder than anyone else looks down on us. I've been looking down on myself so hard since I first read the story because um, I feel like I don't understand and I should. I feel like there's things I'm missing and uh, I shouldn't miss them. And I feel like I'm going to get a D on this assignment. And I don't do that. I'm an, I'm a straight A student. That's who I am. That's what I do. So yes, I've been very much looking down on myself. Stories that make you feel bad about you. That's <laughs> no, that's not Joyland's genre, but I will <laughs> say, I really like that. They, they, they're not afraid to take risks. They're not afraid to go with the more experimental stuff. And somebody has to do that. You know, and that's 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 admirable. It's commendable. I, I very much appreciate that because you know you have somewhere where you can go to find something unconventional, to find something that's not a, a linear plot progression, and everything is being you know ends up almost as expected with maybe a few surprises here and there. No, this is this is always very unexpected, and and that's how you sometimes can invoke feeling without having too much actual action. And. The way I read this, and by the way, massive spoiler alert. Um, at the end, and I think you kind of have to struggle through the first part to get to the ending to have it make any sense. Because I am fairly certain that the body that is floating face down is Button. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> That's a new idea for me. I honestly was, I was so pulled into this 
you know, every question is unanswered and that has to be okay. And you have to be okay with that kind of feeling that I had gotten from this story that I didn't ask myself that question. <laughs> and I was like, I don't think any of my questions are going to be answered anyhow. So I may as well stop asking them and just enjoy the ride. <laughs> and I could be completely wrong about this, but, uh, a backpack rested on top of it where all the junk had spilled out. That to me, everything we've heard about button up to that point makes that seem like the signifier that was supposed to tie that in. Okay. I absolutely get that. That makes so much, so much sense. And that is a, a, a hook, a connection there that I didn't necessarily catch. The only thing that I could, I guess a big reason that I didn't really go there was because it didn't seem like mother and button inhabited the same space and time. And that's why it, it just seemed like it never even occurred to me that that could be button because mother is there in the next, in the next sentence, ran out of the house yelling, don't look, don't look. Um, so I, I have, a I, I'm suddenly just, even as we're just sitting here talking, I'm coming up with all these possible interpretations for what this could be, you know, like there's a part of my brain that button is an imaginary friend, you know, this is, this is a, a little kid, granted a, a kid in a different uh, world and experience than what, what we grew up with. Mm-hmm. And they have this imaginary friend named button and button is, you know, adventurous and, and brave and, and, you know, very capable and is a lot of things that they wish they were. So that's one interpretation. Do I hear to that? Do I believe that? I don't freaking know. I don't know what I am or believe anymore. I'm having an existential crisis. (laughs) (laughs) But there are actually elements that actually speak to your concept more than mine. Um, uh, For example, the name lizard avoided because it was too hard for him to pronounce the name button thoughtlessly said made us sound like several people. And that seems to speak to sort of this nebulousness, this sort of uh, imaginariness. That's a new word. Use it. Um, that, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> Absolutarium. We are the Shakespeare's of our time. Um, <laughs> we really are. <laughs> but yeah, there's Button is, if I were to draw a character analysis of Button, and we don't do that here. No. Um the first thing that would come to me is chaotic. And that scene is chaos. So much so that it it breaks. Because I would actually feel Mother was less tangible than Button was. I can, I can agree with that. And in this interpretation that I'm slowly developing, literally as we're speaking, uh, I have one possible spin on it that I think I could pull uh, that uh, Button being an imaginary friend, but also maybe is represented by something, perhaps say a stuffed animal with a button. Ooh. Like a a little teddy bear with buttons down the front or something like that. And, you know, maybe it's, and yeah, something happened to Button at the end, either to the imaginary friend in in their, you know, the world just intruded too much reality, intruded too much to the extent where that this character or characters, we should note that it's second person plural, so it's kind of hard to know. But 
they lose button in some way or lose that grip on the fantastical that that is able to keep them from sinking into reality and it's again i am making this so up i'm so making this up um there's some sort of event that that uh, also coincides with button the physical object being destroyed mm -hmm. i think uh one of the powers of kathy nguyen's writing is that she gives you so much to interpret and you can trace back and you have to, in this story, you have to bounce back and forth to make any sort of sense to it. And, you know, when you can read a story the first time and have one interpretation and read a story the second time and realize your interpretation was completely wrong. Uh, it's, it's a sign to me of a, great piece of writing now is it a great story that's a harder question because i a could very see some... different question oh yeah i could see someone who really loved plot reading this and then coming and slapping me for recommending it <laughs> uh one thing is that i can see someone who really loved plot but also was less maybe prone to violence um <laughs> I could see that person reading this and then making like a serial killer corkboard of, you know, trying to connect all the different disparate pieces and scenes and moments together in order to make something that is linear in progression. You think serial killer corkboard people are less violent? <laughs> okay, so I didn't say whether it was <laughs> the corkboard of a serial killer or of someone hunting a serial killer so uh you can take whatever you want from that i'm gonna go ahead and let that question go unanswered like this story let many of mine go unanswered correct um <laughs> one thing also about this story that i think is really great is that again visceral uh <laughs> sensations all across the board um, you're getting this sort of cruddiness, I guess, is the best way to put it. Um, but at the same time, you're getting like a, a roughness, I think, is the best way to put it. it. This is a story that feels like it is grinding. And I find that that's much harder to get across without having a real understanding of what do certain character traits portray to the reader. And this definitely could have started as a character study that slowly or later quickly got out of hand. I can agree with that. I can absolutely agree with that. I think that's entirely possible. I think that's, that's one thing about the stories. Again, like you said, there's so many different interpretations and you can come to the story each time with a different one or just come up with something just completely out of the blue in the middle of a podcast about it. And we could also do the same thing about how this started or what the author's intentions were because <laughs> there's so many, there's a, there's a, a couple different possibilities of, of origin or intentions for every single interpretation. So we could go on for, for hours about this and, and that's not the name of the podcast, is it? <laughs> Good point. I will say this feels like a very contemporary story. This is, this is of the moment. 
Yes, absolutely. This is very of the moment. And uh, I feel like it could be, it's so of the moment, it could be emblematic of the moment. I like that word of really good. <laughs> so any other oh. thoughts on this one there, Christy? Oh, no, I'm good. I don't think so. I will say, I guess this is probably the first time I've seen second person plural used that I can remember. I'm sure I've seen it somewhere, maybe didn't notice it as thoroughly as I did here because it seemed like it was such a, a part, uh, part and parcel of what was going on. So yeah, that was, that was a new thing for me. Yeah, I can't think of one either, actually. Um, I can think of a lot of fun second person singular, but second person plural is tough to do. Yeah, I can't imagine trying to pull that off. It's, it's, I mean, I could try, but I, I would probably make a fool of myself. So, <sighs> yeah. Well, yous like to do that, right? Y yins like to do that, yeah. <laughs> Damn it, yins, not yous. <laughs> yous is the other side of the state. I'm on the yin side of the state. The other side of the state is the yous. I see. Yes. You know, I, I was looking into buying a church in, in uh, Pittsburgh. I did see that. And I still think you should and then make it an actual like religion, but sort of like the, you know, spaghetti monster religion or whatever. Um, you know, something along those lines, but maybe worshiping soup. I don't know. I was thinking uh, First Church of Chris podcast. No, yeah, there we go. I like it. I like it. I like that. Yeah. Hey, Christy. Yes. Do you remember what story we're reading next week? I, being the ever so slightly tiny bit more organized one of this pairing, uh, pulled up my, my note, which, uh, without which I would not have remembered, and saw that next week we are reading What is Lost is Not Lost by Jared Lehman. Correct. Oh, well, I'm glad you could verify that for me. Thanks. <laughs> Excellent. Well, until next week, we're slightly confused, but this has also been Short Story. Short podcast. I uh, take issue with slightly. 